Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Hey folks, welcome back. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. I'm your host, Joe Lou, and today I'm here with Pastor Lydia, who's a co-founder of 180 Church, pastor of Transformation, and wife to Dr. Sammy. And today we're discussing our recent sermon, continuing on in the tradition of Pentecost. And today we're focusing mostly on how we can discern the works and the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how we can distinguish that uh, from a contrarian spirit that is self-inflating and self-fulfilled. And so what we can see is the motif of the Holy Spirit works through us so that it can impact and influence those around us horizontally as well. And so to go into further conversation about that, here's Dr. Sammy. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Yeah, so 2020 already, with this public health emergency navigating through COVID-19, has been just excruciating. But now, this week, the unjust death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, which eerily uh, mirrors the death of Eric Gardner in 2014, the death of another black man, another unarmed black man, by police brutality and... We're, we're stuck in this moment, and sometimes I don't try to comment on these hot takes because uh, I know f- too well that I can't unpack systemic and institutional racism. Going back 50 years to Jim Crow, when the country in its unjust unjust laws try to stop African-American brothers from voting. And I'm not trying to be relevant. I'm not trying uh, this for hot takes or I have a delusion that I can solve or unpack this. But I do want to use it as a lens to call the church to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I do want to use this as a lens to go back to our series because it seriously highlights the fallen condition, right? Last week we said that no matter how amazing a spiritual experience is, the ubiquitous benchmarks are always the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Galatians 5.18 lists the fruit of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, Right? Love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, which is not being reflected very much in the culture. You know it and I know it. We're at a precipice in our nation. A friend of mine tweeted this week that it is a miracle. It is the grace of God that there is not a militia of African Americans that take onto the streets. And I agree. <laughs> MLK 
was a gift from God to allow the gospel to change culture. And we've seen it before in the past. And I believe it's possible again. But here's my point. My point is, here are the, here, here are the facts. 75% of America is associated as Christian from 2015. That means millions and millions and millions of Americans are worshiping, lifting their hands high on Sundays, reading their Bibles on the weekdays. Yet, our impact on culture is skin deep. In our country is more polarized than ever before. And the racial wounds and the, and the social tensions are only increasing. And why do I bring this up? Because you see, that means there are millions and millions of spiritual experiences each weekend at retreats. There are revivals and tent meetings and conferences. But it is, it is doing very little shallow work in the church. Very, very shallow work. So if, if it's not the Spirit of God at work, because we said that every spiritual phenomenon and how we discern the Spirit's work is by the fruit and the outcome, the ubiquitous outcomes. Then what spirit is at work in the churches of America? If it's not the spirit, that's the eerie question and, and reflection that I think we have to just stop and think about. Because the spirit of God produces love, peace, patience, kindness. He creates a more equitable world. But that's not happening. And I am not blaming anyone. But from a macro picture, I'm asking us to examine these spiritual experiences again because if last week we detailed the outcome, ubiquitous outcomes of the Spirit of God, this week I think it's paramount then that we begin to go back to the Church of Acts, the early church that changed the world, that made the world more equitable, more moral, brought children's rights, all kinds of rights, human rights to the forefront. And we've seen this in the influence of Gandhi who was influenced by Jesus in the New Testament, Martin Luther King, and many others, John Wesley, Wilberforce, and we've seen this in history. So how can we discern, the question I want to answer is, how can we discern the work of the Spirit from a contrarian spirit? Because an unclean spirit, the Bible says, the spirit of the Antichrist, the evil one, is at work. And I think that's paramount to answer. Because we want the work of the Spirit to take place in our lives. Amen? So let's go to the Scriptures and come back and unpack this text. Amen. Hey guys, today's Scripture is from the book of Acts chapter 2 verses 36 to 47. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. Bye. So the question we asked in the beginning, using this cultural moment as a lens, was how can we learn to discern the work of the Spirit from the contrarian spirit at work? The first lesson we learned, excavated from Acts 2 in greater detail, is that the Spirit first works to produce applicable humility, not greater spiritual piety. Now, if you pay close attention to the spiritual phenomenon at interest here that we looked at for the last three weeks, the tongues of fire, what does it produce? And we talked about the purpose, we talked about last week the fruit and the outcomes. But if you look in greater detail and pay close attention to the text, if you look at verse 37 again, there is an inherent correlation between the Spirit's work and contriteness. There is something that happens when the Holy Spirit begins to take root in the heart, begins to work in us. And many of you watching this broadcast have felt it when you came to the Lord, and even today, there's a humility. Not a humility that simply talks, or cries in sorrow. It's not a self-pity. No. It's about action. It's what can I do? The text says this in verse 37. When, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And we examined that a bit last week. And said to Peter, to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? You see that? Applicable humility. Not just sulking. Oh, I'm so bad. Look what I've done. Not just tears of sorrow, not just wailing for 24 hours. No, applicable contriteness. You see that correlation there very and very carefully? Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You see, when someone is genuinely sorry, genuinely and sincerely contrite, they don't make you feel bad for what they did wrong. <laughs> Have you guys had these conversations before? I had plenty of conversations. Well, all my sons, especially the youngest one, make me feel bad for pointing things out in their life. Right? Why? And then you have to say sorry. That's not the spiritual work. That's humanism. That's a contrarian spirit. And the evil one would love nothing more than for us to become pious. A piety, spiritual piety is an appearance of righteousness. 
and humility when inside it's really all about self-interest. It's not about making amends. It's not about life change at all. So Peter says, the forgiveness of your sins. And that's the word we need to really tackle and grapple with today. What is causing this tension? Is it racism? Yes, but that's not the root. It's the manifestation. And that's why this is going to happen over and over again until we deal with the root of the issue. The root of the issue is sin. I read a quote on Twitter this week that said, You can't love someone when you believe that they need Jesus more than you. Profound and powerful. You can't love someone when you believe that they need Jesus more than you. C.S. Lewis talked about how the proud man is always looking down on things and people. And thus he cannot look up. When the Spirit's at work, it doesn't just bring an appearance of piety and spirituality. It actually brings sincere, contrite humility. In the last few years, in our own community, I've seen this take place. I've seen... One of our great brothers, Danny O, when he was baptized in the family of God a few years ago. And he came, and he even did a movie with us for an outreach called Beyond Lost. Because that was, that was his life, a testimony. And there was no ambiguity to the, who, who the real hero was in his story. But before that, he would always roll his eyes, you know, be a little bit, you know, fleshly, I guess, whatever you want to call it. But... I remember he came to me and, and, you know, with a contrite spirit and sometimes with tears. You know, I want to change. I really want to know this myself. I really want to know Christ. And man, I'm so proud of that brother. He's changed so much. When the correlation between the Spirit's work, you see the fruit in their lives. Then Danny got married to a wonderful girl. I told him, he asked me, you think I should propose? like, if you don't marry that girl, you're an idiot. He said, I think Minyang saved that text. <laughs> but I've seen it in, in, in young professionals in our, in our church. And Danny, the contrite spirit, not apologizing perpetually about what they're doing wrong, but them making amends in their lives and bringing real change. And man, I'm so proud of that when I see the spirit's work. It brings real fruit in real lives. And I want you to check out that testimony when you get a chance. It's pretty amazing. So, so today, look at your life. And you know, the truth is we can lie to people. We can appear spiritual. But are we really? Don't look at how you feel because feelings are not a good metric to tell if the Spirit is really working in your life. Look at the fruit in your life. What is taking place? Because this, I pray the Spirit would show you right now. So in the beginning we said uh, that we want to explore in greater detail how we can discern the work of the Spirit from a contrarian spirit at work. 
Well, first we said that the Spirit works to produce applicable humility, applicable contriteness, not greater piety. Second, the Spirit moves us to commit to authentic community, real community, not hyper-spirituality. There is this inherent correlation in the book of Acts, which remarks the greatest community created of all time, the Ecclesia, the community sent by God, as the major central mechanism to change culture, which it did, and now we need to do that again. But if you look at the correlation, if you look at verse 42 to 47, it's a very particular uh, verse as this, in verse 44. Let's look at that together. And it says that all the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. There is this equalizer, the correlation between the Spirit's work and not, it doesn't produce greater individuality or greater self-interest in a vertical level, me to God. It creates a horizontal, applicable, blessed, again, that motif, to be a blessing to others for the sake of others. You see that here. And it didn't matter what status you were. In our church, it doesn't matter if you're a doctor or if you're a student. It doesn't matter if you're a waiter or you're a teacher. It doesn't matter if you're an engineer or you're unemployed looking for a job. The cross is our equalizer. We are all sinners first. And that's why you see the Christian community is not a utopian community. It actually falls into a dystopia and understands that if everybody lives out their self-interest, if everybody lives out their selfishness and the green monster and the jealousy and the envy in the human heart, it leads to dystopia like it is now. It's actually rooted in reality. Do you see that correlation? It doesn't produce greater individuality. It actually produces what? Commitment to what? Family, community, to be together. <laughs> you know, every week, one of the gifts of this pandemic in disguise was worshiping with our kids. My oldest, he's 13. My youngest, he's seven, turning eight in July. He's very excited. He wants some Jordans. <laughs> He said, multiple pairs. I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know, and one of the things I observe about an eight-year-old, well, soon-to-be eight-year-old, is that when he watches the service, he doesn't understand half the things I'm saying. And a lot of times he's sighing. He loves worship, loves it. But when his dad is talking, he's just like, wow, why is it so long? <laughs> I'm just like, man. <laughs> and... Last week, he was like, man, he was looking really forward to the bloopers because that's his favorite part of the whole service. Go figure. He likes, he likes me messing up. <laughs> and you know why he likes the bloopers? Because he can relate to it. And that's the point of community. Community is about not just really careful, curated highlights of one's life. No. It's about the bloopers. It's about being human. It's about being lost at times. It's about being broken at times. It's, it's about grieving at times. And you know what? Josh relates to all the things there because he tried YouTube videos and it's hard. 
and you can relate. And sometimes that's the gospel. The gospel has to be relatable. And when we are, we falsely curate these highlights of our lives and project it on social media in our lives, we give a false representation of who God is. When the Spirit is at work, it makes us self-deprecating and makes us one in common. Just Sam, just Lydia, just Henry, just Billy, just Daniel. And that's the power of the Spirit's work. It brings contriteness and it brings what? Community. And community could only happen when there's reciprocity. There has to be highlights and bloopers. So today, what is working in your life? I pray the Spirit of God will show you. Are you isolating or are you really engaging, committed to real community? Sharing your heart. Sharing your bloopers as well as your highlights. Because that's what it's showing. And that's what's going to take to change the world. To show people that God's power is made perfect in our weakness, not in our strength. We can't change the culture on our own. But the Spirit can. The Spirit will in you and through you. So as we close our service today, will you lift your hands in this fog? Maybe it's prophetic today. And pray, Holy Spirit, fall on me. Fill me. Help me not escape and move into hyper-spirituality where it's just me and God, me and God, that's all matters. Or self-interest. Appearance of piety? No. Say, Lord, work in me so you can fill me. And, and the, the ubiquitous benchmarks of my life would be love, joy, peace, patience. Not forced patience, not forced love and joy, but the product, the byproduct, the overflow of the Spirit's work in my life, aligned to Him. Amen? Because God is moving right now in you. Will you do that right now? He is here and available to you. Because the culture needs the church to rise up. It needs the power of the Spirit and the outpouring of the Spirit more than ever before. Not to chase experiences. The, the culture today needs the church, the local church, to be on fire for God filled by the Spirit, not the country. We, don't, we do not have the luxury to be led astray. Amen. So will you worship right now? Lift your hands and ask to be filled. I think, uh, like, for me, when I'm thinking about this sermon and thinking about, like, how we can really measure uh, the fruit in our lives for the ways in which the Holy Spirit is working, I think, like, a lot is... It's not that, like... I've necessarily, I'm learning this necessarily for the first time, but it kind of, I think there's something about the conversation that we're having about Pentecost and the Holy Spirit that has been kind of illuminating in such a way that it gives a lot of direction for me. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, like to be a little bit more specific, I think when I was thinking about how, you know, how do I know that I'm really engaging with the works of the Holy Spirit and like the mission at hand and the calling that God has for me. Um, you know, it's, it's usually hard for me to really pinpoint, uh, exactly like how you can measure this because it's not necessarily like a quantitative thing, right? It's not like a checklist of sorts. But then like what Dr. Sammy was bringing up is that, 
you know, what the gospel really does is from, from following from the previous sermon, what the gospel really does is helps confront us with our sin. And from that confrontation of sin, uh, that personal offense is what calls into question and what brings forth um, this humility that he was talking about. This humility um, then kind of brings us to a place that we can sort of see what changes are being made in our lives and about us so that like we can determine thereafter like how like whether we are you know really being filled by the holy spirit and working with him and i guess i kind of just wanted to pick your brain a little bit about that because it's like i know that one of the ways in which we i guess one of the ways in which we see how christ has affected our lives is life change right and um and i guess i wanted to talk a little bit about you know mm-hmm. the like i guess the, like what is involved with that because i think a lot of the first part of the sermon was about how sin brings forth this humility yeah you know um so yeah we didn't have podcast last week and i did want to talk about um last week's message because it's actually very important mm-hmm. um about even before you even discern, like what is what is it that the Holy Spirit does? Mm. And the second point of last message was that the Holy Spirit, um, not in exact words of the point, but the Holy Spirit illuminates, it highlights the need for God and the resistance of sin. Mm. And that is such an important point about the Holy Spirit, about the work of the Holy Spirit, because a lot of times when people talk about the Holy Spirit, it it almost feels like, um, you know, the Holy Spirit brings comfort, yes. The Holy Spirit um, brings prophecy, yes. Encouragement, yes. All these things. And he brings gifts to edify and build up. But... Oftentimes, the very role of the Holy Spirit and how he even enters someone is really through repentance and forgiveness of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, without actually confessing that you are a sinner in need of Christ, um, without actually accepting that we are sinners in need of forgiveness, um, the Holy Spirit cannot enter our lives, our, our hearts. Mm. Christ cannot reside unless we acknowledge our need for him. So, and that's really what it means that Christ would come and lead our, lead our lives is that there would be an illumination, yes, to our need for him in various ways, but ultimately there is a repentance for sin of recognizing that there was once and even even now is a there's a resistance of really admitting the sinfulness of our own souls mm. so that's such an important point um leading up to the message this week of discerning the work of the holy spirit um because discernment really brings up the fact that there are there is a contrarian spirit 
There's a Holy Spirit, and then there's a Concharian Spirit that is also at work. God's Spirit, the Spirit of God, is at work um, helping us continue and finish the mission of God on earth um, before he returns. But there's also the work of the enemy, and that mm-hmm. is a demonic spirit at work. And also there is the whole other area of flesh and even humanism, which is uh, more focused on not so much on demonic, but it, it is rooted from sin and it, it is it is rooted from a demonic spirit, which mm. leads to the building and I guess the resistance of flesh, right? So there are two forces at work, demonic and the Holy Spirit. So when we're talking about discerning of the Holy Spirit, um, it's so important to identify whether the work that is being done is of the spirit or really a counterfeit of this, uh, you know, a counterfeit work where it seems like the work of God, but actually internally it is um, developing a whole other plan of self-interest. So, yeah. I see. So I think what I'm getting from, that bit is that like sin provides the context by which like it highlights for us this tension of not just self-interest and like mission and purpose, but also like the, like the battle between um, like good and evil really, or like even God and, you know, the devil, right. It's like this, like sin as a centerpiece provides the context by which we make sense of this kind of tension in our lives. Yeah, and you know, I think like a lot of times sin, when we talk about sin, it's almost like, you know, it's what's evil, it's what's explicitly um, violent and, mm-hmm. um, you know, hurtful. And, um, but sometimes the contrarian spirit is just the spirit of fear that causes people to act in certain ways that is not of God. Bible clearly makes it that. I mean, it makes it clear that the spirit of fear is not of God, that mm. it is of the contrarian spirit. So I think just to broaden, I guess, the scope of the talk of sin and, you know, the Holy Spirit's work versus the contrarian spirit. Because I think a lot of times we kind of look at things like bad or good, but right. there is the whole nuance of implicit and how that's developing someone um not in equitable ways not in life-changing ways for the world for the community um but in ways that are actually self self-interested and um individualistic in a mm-hmm. way where it has nothing to do with others or the mission of god well or i would say therefore the mission of god it is all about self Mm. I see. And this is like what our sermon for this week was tackling, like the nature of how, I guess, like some of the ways that we can almost, I don't know if misinterpret is the right word, but maybe like some of the spiritual activity or the works of the spirit that we think are in place might not actually um, be put in service for others, but like it does 
self-inflate if we are not careful about distinguishing between like what spirit is at work in our lives. Yeah, um, I think it's even, I would even say to assume that a lot of times it's not the spirit of God at work when mm. there is flamboyancy or some kind of uh, visceral existential uh, manifestation mm. of any kind, um, even tears. And I'm not even talking about like the whole charismatic camp of um, manifestations, you know, the shaking. I'm not even, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about like, tears um you know sulking you know what seems like true uh, godly sorrow on the outside really um is just a sorrow of self-pity mm. or self-loss you know right. so yeah right and dr sammy did mention something about that like where um humility is not necessarily this you know being fixated on what we've done wrong and such like that but what he's saying about actionable humility as a result of like dealing with the consequences of our sin looks more like, you know, taking action as opposed to like, it, it's supposed to like fuel action as opposed to it be about us like beating ourselves up about how terrible we are, quote unquote. Right. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, I, I just love that, you know, he talked about like, you know, when someone is truly sorry, they don't make you feel bad about the fact that they're sorry. Mm. But I think that if not all of us, many of us have felt that where someone is feeling bad about something they did and it ends up that you walk out of that room and you feel horrible for being in that conversation about what they did. And you're just like, wait, why does that, why does that make me feel bad? When mm. you had nothing to do with it, or you were the one who was wrong, then you're in the place of comforting them um, for doing wrong. And when you clearly heard the word sorry, but why do I feel bad about that? You know, mm. and I think that's such a blatant but um, good example of what true repentance is not. You know, it's mm. almost as if. Someone could say, wow, you repent so well because you cry so well. You seem so sincere, you know, because you feel so bad. But feeling bad about sin has nothing to do with true repentance at all, as mm. much as people had made it, you know. People mm. usually think the more tears, the more sincere, but that's not true. Right, right. Yeah, I'm. I'm just recalling all the times that you know, maybe in when I was younger, I got like caught lying or like doing something stupid and my mom would yell at me and I would cry about it. But it's not like my actions necessarily changed. Like, right. It's I, I still like continue to do this thing. So it's not or like this bad. I continue to do this, quote unquote, bad thing. Um, And it's not like I really repented or learned from that experience to change my actions. Right. Oftentimes it is uh, almost like a cry for, okay, I get it. Leave me alone kind of thing. Or, you know, I get it. Why are you making me feel bad? But mm. clearly Bible is making it clear that those are not the fruit of the spirit. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. And I, I, so I guess like um, just kind of going off of that part is that like what it seems to me is that the confrontation of sin, if we are um, to see that 
it's supposed to bring repentance um, and repentance being uh, like a change in our demeanor or action or a change in our lives. We can say that I guess it's kind of like one of the things that I guess I sometimes am a little bit wary about is like being certain that I am repentant, if you know what I'm saying, you know, because it's like sometimes it's like, I guess when you're confronted with some of your faults and some of your mistakes, it's, I think it's not hard to believe that you might have faults, but mm-hmm. like sometimes not necessarily that the action, the actionable change or like um, the applicable humility really, really shows if you, if you know what I mean. And I guess it's kind of like, um, how, like, how do you know that one would be truly repentant or like one would be like not just sorry for the things that they've done but you know like i guess how how do we see that there was real repentance for the sins that we committed in our lives i mean the only way is seen by the fruit of the spirit you know it is really about what you bear so which really means that life change would show it hmm I mean, so as like, simple as that. Right, so it's like a, the proof is in the pudding kind of thing? Yeah, okay. Proof is in the pudding. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's an idiom. <laughs> yeah. But exactly. It's, you know, sometimes I think we complicate it so much. But yeah, some things yeah. could be t- um, seen over time. Right? But it is... Um, it is... In the end, it's blatantly clear what is, what isn't to God. And there are signs that show that, which are seen by the fruit of the Spirit or the lack of it. Mm. I guess, like, well, I mean, yeah, I think that's, like, definitely probably the way in which, like, we can even really measure if this repentance really took place. But I guess, like, um, I guess, like, what... I like I, what I'm trying to really figure out, even for myself, is that like it could seem like there might be some spiritual phenomena or like true or like repentance in my life or something like that. But it's like I guess like would like how do we know or I guess the best way we could I I could put this is like how do I know I'm not just like acting. If if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. like, you know, you know, because like, I guess when I think about, you know, displaying the fruits of the spirit in my life, whether it's like love, peace, patience, kindness, it's usually like, I know that I've done something wrong and I know that I have to do something to change it. Um, but it's like, is it like something that we have to work at, like something that we have to be mindful that we're doing? Or is it do you, do you think it like kind of just becomes a part of who we are? I guess is what I'm saying, because it's like. I feel like there might be a, a bit of a difference between those two. Um, yeah, there is an aspect of working on it because you're literally working on something that um, used to be second nature or something that you would turn to um, as for whatever reason mm. and changing that around. But in the end, it would be... it you would be at a place where you in true repentance would no longer um take part in that. Like for example, like lying, right? Mm. You know, let's say that someone has 
a line problem. And, you know, you could say, well, maybe they started to lie because they were afraid of telling the truth. It wasn't even evil. It's not like it's hurting anyone. It's just for self-defense. Like you could say all that, but let's say the person grows up and just whatever it is, first, first, um, reaction for all things uncomfortable or is to lie mm-hmm. because it just gets them out of uh conflict it gets them out of tension of relationship or it gets them out of you know being found out about what it is that they're hiding but the person wants to change um and repents of it and ask god God, you know, he could say in many words or in few words, wants to change in this area. If mm. the person really truly repented, they would no longer lie. I mean, it, it is clear as that. Mm. Yes, they might have to work on that because it's become a habit. It's become the first, I don't know, I, I don't know what the word is, but, um, you know, it's become so easy for them to lie than tell the truth. But, or to actually embrace responsibility, but in the end, the person would no longer lie. And that's mm-hmm. how you would know that there is true change versus someone who would say, wow, like, you know, I have such a line problem. And, you know, I think it's because I've always been afraid. And if that cycle continues, they could say sorry many times, but if there's no change because they're not realizing how it's affecting others, not just them, but again, like the focus is on self. It's like, oh, you know, I, this is kind of like where I come from and this, this is why I do this. Like, do you know what I mean? In the end, there is a change that shows clearly by the person no longer lying and embracing conflict, embracing mm-hmm. responsibility. So it is, it is very clear. If there is repentance in that situation, right? So, yeah. yeah, so there is a process of time, but in the end, it would be very clear whether there's life change or not. Because, I mean, not to say that there's no process, because I mean, the whole process of being in community is about being relatable, that it's, it's hard sometimes. And that's why there's accountability when accountability sucks. Like, who wants to really confess? when they messed up, right? No one, right? Mm -hmm. And hear from everybody. Like, no one wants to do that. But why do people confess when they sin? Because there's an accountability that comes that has nothing to do with how you feel. They make you feel whether what they say or how they do it right or what not, people in the accountability group. But you confess for yourself because this is not who you want to be. So you expose it. So... There is those, that is the direction of the fruit of the spirit, right? Bearing in the process. So there is, uh, I mean, no one, I mean, stopping sin is not easy. Mm, Yeah. Admitting to sin is not easy because in the end, like stopping sin is not easy. And who really wants to do that, right? It's been the way that person um, or people have lived and it's worked for them for a long time until it did it. They realize mm-hmm. and even understanding that is grace. So there's a resistance that comes with that. 
right. to admit and to even embrace that change is necessary. So the process might look ugly, but it is, um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Because, like, I guess, I guess, I I might have just kind of skipped over the part about how difficult it is to even begin to admit your sin and stuff like that. Um, you know, because it's kind of like, like I like to, you know, um, and I can only really speak from my own experience, but you know, I think that about myself, and I think this is probably wrong. It's like I think like maybe I might see, I might think that sin, admitting sin is not a difficult thing, but, you know, even being able to bring up your sin or even talk about it and confess it with others is like a huge step. And I th- I think one of the things I'm getting out of our conversation um, just now is that it's like the important way in which we can even measure like how much change or how much of the direction of Christ um, that we're walking in is like based on how even our community perceives that change, right? Cause it's like, if 50% of the battle is the admittance of sin, like the other 50% seems like it would be seen to other people that your life has changed as a result of confession or admittance, um, and humility. Yeah, but confessing is not to show the community that there's change happening. Right. I mean, it's right? for yourself. Like, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. But I don't know what the percentage of that is. Honestly, like, it's hard to say 50-50 because it's easy to, for some, it's like so easy to admit. But mm-hmm. it seems almost like 150% effort, it feels like or left, room left, work left, to actually walk it, you know? So, and for others, it's like 90% resistance to admit it. But then once they admit it, it's like, you know what? I'm done with this. And they walk away from Mm. that. So, hard to say. I guess that's the whole tricky part about discerning the work of the Spirit versus a contrarian spirit is that what looks like 90% could be 10% based on, you know, results. Mm. And what seems like 10% repentance, it results in 100% life change. So it is incalculable in that aspect, Mm. but it is definitely clear through life change. Right. And it's like measured or tested over time, it seems like. Yeah. But as much as people make it so complicated, right, or yeah. we, we complicate life change, life change is pretty easy to identify. Just like um, lack of life change is also, it's kind of like it almost could feel like there's an elephant in the You know, like when there's an elephant in the room, you kind of sense it. Something's not right. Mm. Um, the lack of life change for the verbalization of or the tears shed it's i think it's we often excuse it or we hope for the best but for the spirit is pretty clear um it's meant to be evident so yeah i know that it's a you know to be a graceful 
grace-filled community, but that's about the process. It's not so much about the fact that we can't see if there's life change or not. Mm. If there are cases where, I guess, like, there's cases where, like, you know, Judas, like, you know, he looked like, because he hung out with Jesus, he looked like he was uh, part of the number, right? Like, part of the 12, like, the 12 committed. But when the testing came or the temptation came, Judas completely fell off the grid. He literally betrayed Jesus and sold him, right? So so there's that aspect of, you know, we change, life change is not seen through association, you know? Life change is literally seen through how you live your life. And we see that, like, Paul, um, he was a persecutor of Christians, but once he repented, there was a complete life change of how he lived his life. Mm. He had a complete turnaround. And we see that with Peter in association, he followed Jesus because he had self-interest. But once he betrayed Jesus and, you know, he realized that he truly was the son of God. Like when Jesus restores him, we see clearly it's an upside down life change that follows. Right. So, yeah, it's not as tricky, although I think that's, it is still tricky because that's why we need to discern Yeah. whether it is the work of the spirit. Yeah, I agree. I think it's like not necessarily difficult to know that someone's life has changed, but I guess like I have all these questions about it because like, like kind of the way in which you're describing Judas and even like Paul and these examples of people that like, well, it's in the Judas example, it's like, it could seem like there's life change, but not necessarily so. And so it's like, it might be a little bit great, not great, but you know, I guess it's kind of like murky to see like what, if your life has really changed. Yeah. Because I guess that's the thing. Like, I guess I want to speak a little bit on what, I just mentioned of association. A lot of people f- believe that association to the church or association to a community, mm. not really belonging to a community, as in like you legit belong to a community, you mm. are no longer isolated in your own sin or in your own lifestyle, but belong to it where you confess to it, where you live life, um, the ins and outs of life together really working towards um, as following Christ. But I'm talking about like association. A lot of people um, associate themselves to a community and therefore say, I'm changing. But Mm. that's not necessarily true. Association has nothing to do with the work of the Spirit. Association just means that you are, you may be on the, maybe it looks like you're on the verge, but perhaps not. But I think a lot of times, and I don't know how many people on the association are actually listening to the podcast because, yeah. you know, but hopefully, you know, people could share it. But mm. a lot of times I think the association to a community could seem like life change because you're kind of hanging out with people, eating with people. But being associated to a community is not life change, um, not the ch- life change that got that uh, the Bible is talking about either. It mm. is really the life change that shows through um, 
what is humility, um, applicable action of um, not self-interest, not individualism, but where it benefits the kingdom of God and the mission of God. Like that could only happen if God is at work in you. But I think that a lot of times associate association is kind of where people settle. Or even like looking at people like, oh, well, at least they're a community. Well, what does that really mean? Are they really in community or are they associated with community? Mm-hmm. That's also very different. And I think discerning the work of the spirit also falls in that category of really, really, you know, examining ourselves, but also examining um, whether our so-called brothers and sisters are in association to the church, the community, or are they actually experiencing true life change that comes from the work of the Holy Spirit? Mm. Because as you can be associated to a community, to a church, but be not um, be, but completely led by a contrarian spirit. So, mm. yeah. I think that's just a distinction that I want to verbalize and make in the podcast. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good distinction because it's like the difference because like the way I I'm imagining this is that you know it's it's like one thing to say or be associated with the thought that you know you I guess you believe in love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And the fruits of the spirit, but it's, it's a, it's another thing to say that you are, or you, like you embody or you live those things out. Like the way I'm seeing it is like, it's almost like saying you're a part of some organization rather than volunteering for that organization, right? It's like there is some kind of action when it comes to like being a part of that service as opposed to like just saying that you are a part of it. If that, if that is the well, way. Um, well, volunteering, I'm not sure because someone could even serve beyond the green team, you know, be it at the cafe, serve for sound, Mm. um, out of association, but not necessarily, um, uh, experiencing the work of the spirit, but completely led by a contrarian spirit. So I guess it's more like, I mean, Jesus said it, a good tree will bear good fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And Jesus makes it as clear as that. Like, if a, if a plant is bad, it's not going to produce the strawberries. You know, mm-hmm, it yeah. will, it will produce bad fruit. So, yeah, it's because someone could take the action and go through all the motions, but doesn't necessarily mean, you know, that's like saying, um, just because you sat on a church seat, you know, in a theater seat or in a church pews, 50 times, you know, out of 52 weeks, on, you know, mm. that the Holy Spirit is at work in and through you. Mm. I highly doubt that. And I think that is kind of also the other part of the point of this message is that there are many experiences, um, spiritual experiences people are a part of. But um, the result or the fruit is not of God. Mm. So. I see. 
Well, to that point, I guess that kind of just leaves me wondering because it's like, how can, and I guess I kind of ask this because, you know, I probably worry about it time to time, but you know, like how, how can you, I guess like, how can you see in your life that you are, you know, being filled by the spirit and that your life is changing? Cause then it's kind of like, it seems like one of the things that can happen is that we as individuals can almost fool ourselves into thinking that we're like, our life is changing and stuff like that. But like, we might not necessarily know that it's not necessarily happening. You know what I mean? So it's like, um, I guess that calls into question for me is, is that why it's important that like, this is not just an individual effort of like holiness or piety, but that like, that's the, that's like one of the reasons, not the reason, but one of the reasons why the community aspect is important here. Like it, it goes to show that this is not just an impact in and of yourself, but for others to receive the benefits or, you know, um, feel the influence of too. Like, I I guess is, I guess I'm just kind of wondering, like, how do you, like, how, how can we really know for ourselves that our lives are changing? If not, in the eyes of other people. Um, so it's, I don't believe that it's not that others can't tell, but I think it's more like, I think I'll just make it a distinction before that. Like, for example, in confession, you don't confess, not you, Joe, but like in general, yeah. like you're not confessing for the sake of showing people, see, guys, I am changing. Confession itself, you do it for yourself because you're wanting to expose something that could get a hold of you mm. to others. And that that confession is not enough that it's done just you and God because that becomes isolated. And then <clears throat> talking about the aspect of why the community is so important, I think is the second point of the message. Mm-hmm. So like an example of someone who is being being transformed in life change by the Holy Spirit versus someone who is not being transformed by the Spirit of God um, in life change is like isolation, for example, social isolation. Um, someone is very spiritual and pious. They pray great prayers. They pray well. They talk poetically almost. It's like they have the ability to speak of deep things of the heart in ways that are understandable by the usage of words, right? But you, but there are places of isolation in that person's life. Mm. Um, and not truly like plugged into an authentic community where life is lived out together where mm-hmm. there is a sense of accountability and um, where others can s- now, like we're talking about seeing, but like where others can see when something is not right. They don't take um, advice well, mm-hmm. even when it's biblical, like and there's always a resistance that ends at resistance. It's like you talk and you talk and talk to the person, but it never actually mends to anything. Um, but they're great. They cry well, they pray well, they sing well, they lift their arms well when they praise. But 
You know what I mean? Like that's, I think that's a good example. Like I, no one could be isolated and holy and actually be holy and mm-hmm. have the work of the spirit living in them, like living and working through them because the Holy Spirit doesn't work through isolation. Isolation is a work of the contrarian spirit. Right. When people, when people isolate because of shame, that is not the work of the spirit. So, I mean, there's this aspect also. It's not like, um, because the Holy Spirit is working in this one person, the Holy Spirit, it's always the work of the spirit. That's not true. The mm. person's life is discerned through lifetime, right? So, um, I think I, yeah, I was actually thinking about this, like when I was listening to the message and just reflecting on it, that on the second message, second point, because it's so important to say that you can be so fervor in your spiritualism, but not aligned to the vine, not aligned to Christ. Mm. And Jesus makes it very clear in John 15, that if you're not connected to the vine, you will be cut off. Like if you're not connected to the vine, there's no way that you could bear good fruit. Mm. That you can't do this apart from, or you cannot bear good fruit isolated, you know, from God, but also God's design of community. Mm. So there's no way someone can grow on their own as an exception, you know, with spiritual illumination of their own spiritual revelation on their own um, and actually experience the Holy Spirit that even Christ himself was in community, you know? Right. So he modeled that for us. So yeah, I think isolation is, um, is also a good example of that. Like a lot of times it could seem one way, but actually you look at the person's life and there's always a, there's a cat, there's a shadow that casts, I mean, I just kind of generalize this because I see this a lot, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in my years of ministry, like they do well and then there's a, I stay isolate and then there's a shadow and then, then there's a pattern of grief of not just grief of life, but there's like almost like a, you know, self-righteousness that comes like that says no one will understand me or, um, you don't know what I'm going through. Like, this is something that only I'm going through. Like, there's no room for voice of God, voice of others, support of others, because it becomes very spiritual, hyper-spiritual. Mm. And that is really uh, an example of isolationism, right? So mm. God cannot work. God is not working in that. God is working to work that out so that the person becomes connected, mm. you know? Yeah, I, I, and, oh, please continue. <laughs> Sorry. And I was just going to say that, you know, but if you want to see that person actually change in that area, if isolation is very common, right? So if isolation and sitting in isolation and being in shame in isolation is the darker part where Christ is not at work, the spirit of God is not at work, how we could see change in that is that person, um, or whoever these people are, getting, letting light in, letting people in, letting advice in, letting help in, you know. So, and that could be also a, a 
a work of repentance, right? Mm. A true work of repentance or fruit of repentance. Because instead of, you know, self-righteousness, envy, anger, grief, I mean, it's tricky. But, you know, like, instead of all these things of, you know, worldly sorrow, all these things, you begin to see instead when they start letting light in of, and the love of it, others in, you start seeing joy. You start seeing love. You start mm-hmm. seeing peace, forgiveness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So you start seeing different fruit emerge mm-hmm. instead of what used to be. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the ways that you can tell that there's life change even in the hard places. So mm-hmm. I guess that's an example. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, because like one of the things that I was reminded of from what you were saying is that, you know, it says like, I guess like fundamentally the like Christianity is about relationships and Jesus is about relationships. And, you know, it even says in the word that, you know, where two or three are gathered, right? It's like not necessarily like a self, like, because I think there's like almost like this idea that has been planted in my head. I don't know about for others that like spiritualism is almost like a self pursuit kind of thing, but it seems yeah. like even like the way you're describing, it, it seems like even the nature of the fruits of the spirit is for the sake of others. Right. Cause like now that you're talking about it, it's like love, peace, patience, kindness are not like these things that you can do. You can do them to yourself. Right. But it's like, these are like actions that we do to or for others. Right. Like we're, we have self-control for, others or like we have patience for others or right so it's like like to be isolated and not part of like that community aspect seems like it's kind of almost counterintuitive to those right like why bear the fruit of the spirit if it's not going to benefit you in relationship with others if it doesn't bless others exactly but yeah it's but also it's produced. So if the work of the spirit is happening in you, it will produce these things. If it is not the work of the spirit and mere humanism or mere just a demonic direction of some sort of temptation of self-interest, although it could seem like that on the, uh, like another on the outside, it is, it clearly show what it's producing. So mm-hmm. it's produced. It's not an action you take. So when the fruit of the spirit is being mentioned, it's not talking about, oh, in order to produce the fruit of kindness, be kind. You know, the world could say all they want in bumper stickers and, you know, home decor, be kind, be kind. You cannot be kind and bear the fruit of the spirit of kindness unless the Holy Spirit is at work in you. Yeah. So I think that's the other thing, like, This is not about what kind of kind or forgiving person you turn out to be. It is literally produced as the Holy Spirit is at work in you. Mm. So, Right. It's not like a plant forces the growth of fruit. It's like it just kind of happens, right, as like a natural process. Right. Because that's – it's like a plant – that bears fruit versus a plant that cannot bear fruit. Yes. Well, I learned something today. Well, I learn something <laughs> every week, but you know, that's about <laughs> culture, I guess. Um, I guess like one of the things I did want to touch on is that like, 
I guess, um, you know, it's not, Dr. Sammy didn't say just community. There, there is an aspect of importance to the fact that it's an authentic community. Um, uh-huh, right. And I guess I kind of wanted to just talk about that because, like, I guess, what does that mean? And, uh, like, I know that it was referenced to in terms of, like, how the commonality amongst all of us is the fact that we are sinners. Um, uh-huh. And so I guess, like, my question would probably be, like, what what is an authentic community? And I guess, like, how and in what ways yeah. does it aid or, like, does it help you produce these fruits of the Spirit? Yeah, I think that's a good question because, you know, I think that the you know, this generation, the former generation, the post-millennials, like, love the idea of community. Yeah. But you could have all sorts of different community, you know. But what exactly is a, a, an authentic community? And this is not interpretive, but it's referring to a biblical community that Christ has designed, which is the church, mm-hmm. where Christ is the head of the church, meaning... um where what Christ says and who he is at the center and the forefront and what he has done on the cross is at the center and the forefront of everything that the community is built upon, mm-hmm. where the community is is the representation of the actual body of Christ, who is the head. And I think that's important to mention because you can be part of a community, quote-unquote community, and it could have all sorts of universalism of beliefs mm-hmm. and you could talk about equality of all sorts but if it is not aligned to biblical truth it is not an authentic community no matter how nice and kind the people are if it is not christ-based and the work of christ-based and it is a group that sins together that is not an authentic community mm-hmm. If it is holy and pious with everyone having their own revelation and becoming an exception where everyone thinks that they're better than others, that and not being worked on and called out on, that is not an authentic community. But having said that, you could have a bunch of pious people that are wanting to change out of repentance and they're being called out on it. And isolationism and hypersensitivity is being called out to actually bring um, fruit of the Spirit, to actually submit to the work of the Spirit. Um, that is an authentic community. But I think it's an important basic question, but it's so important because I hear a lot of people go, I love community. I love community. Um, if you're sitting with each other, that's not authentic community. It doesn't matter how kind the people are, mm. right? If you're getting drunk together, that's not authentic community right there. That's like you're doing something else. Like that's your own thing. Right. That's not a community of Christ. So a authentic community has accountability of truth, of grace and time based on the truth of Christ and who Christ is, not apart from. So... Mm. I see. And um, I guess like, I guess I'm trying to draw the connection between, well, I mean, I, I guess the connection is pretty clear because it's like if Christ is at the head of an authentic community, then 
inevitably it seems like what would happen is a production of the fruits of the spirit but it's not but like can we say like that is how we know that the fruits of the spirit are being produced in our lives i mean in the end it's value driven by the values of christ Mm. it's really what distinguishes an authentic community and driven by the values of Christ, the Holy Spirit will minister through and to that community. Um, and it will bear good fruit. And authentic community will do the mission of God because there's no way that you could have a ministry of the Holy Spirit and for that to not produce um, not just life change, but missional heart. Because that is the heart of the Father. Why he produces in us the fruit of the Spirit is for the sake of others. And so that has to translate somewhere out where it is not insular mm. to the community itself or individualistic of self-building. So, yeah. I mean, the Bible makes it very clear, but just to say a few, the... It is not a mysterious thing, per se. Discernment is in process when you kind of like, it's kind of like when you throw, you have a pack of seeds and you don't really know what you're planting because yeah. you get a mixed seed, right? Mm. And you plant it. You don't really know which seed is what unless you study it, I guess. But like, it's when it comes out, even as seedlings, you might not know, but it's when it comes out and it's like a strawberry plant, it's a lettuce plant, it's a fig tree. Like you see by what it produces, what it really is, but it's not meant to be so mysterious. So there is that time of recognizing it over time, you know, and then there's the whole aspect, not everyone kind of makes it through because mm. not every plant makes it, you know, enough to bear fruit. And the parable of the sower talks about that, about the different places where the seed falls on. And because of the soil, the quality of the soil, um, which is really the heart and the character of a person, that it either bears fruit or does not make it, you know? Mm. So, See. so yeah. So having said that, I think, like, I don't know if this is one of your questions, but something I do want to talk about is, can the work of the Spirit be ministered, like administered, right? As in A-D-M-I-N-I-S-T-R-D. And the question is yes, because that is the whole um, beauty of a community that's authentic and built on the foundation of Christ is that there are there are ministries of grace that of not just accountability, but not just reading the Bible and getting up and kind of living the same life, but you can actually read the Bible about anxiety and want to live a life of peace and actually accomplish that through the ministry and the ministration of the Holy Spirit through others and by practicing it. You know, we're not just talking about like murder and, you know, these explicit sin, but anxiety is not the fruit of the spirit. It's caused by fear, caused by the angst and of the world. Um, yes, there are different layers and degrees of how that happens, but 
why do we why do we even um recommend Christian counseling to the members of our church or people struggling with anxiety is because it through those ministries and through those professional help, it actually administers you to be able to bear the fruit of the spirit. It becomes helping tools to that work. It mm-hmm. administers the work of the spirit. So it's also not very linear in terms of like you're either led by the spirit or not. It can be worked through. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think that's important to mention also, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean I could go into it a little more if it doesn't make sense. Oh, think, but. well, it makes sense to me, but, you know, maybe it wouldn't be so bad to, you know, I guess. Yeah, to expound on it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like, um, um, I guess I'll stay on the issue of anxiety. For example, like, there are people that really struggle with anxiety and it impacts their life in so many, you know, crippling ways, right, mm-hmm. and various ways. And does Christ have a, like, I don't want to say, like, does Christ have a cure for that? But the fruit of the Spirit is peace and joy. But oftentimes when there's anxiety, there's lack of peace and joy. And there is a nuanced area of weakness, right, where it might be a weakness, per se, of the person doesn't know how to cope with anxiety, or it could be like a chemical imbalance. It could be circumstantial, whatever the case is. But can that person, um, you know, but I'll give you a true story. Someone didn't know that they could live apart from anxiety. Mm. They didn't know that fear was, they thought that fear was just like something everyone had. And they never thought that fear is uh, not of God. Like that, mm-hmm. it is a work of the contrarian spirit. And when the person understood that, they thought, "Wait a minute! If I am a Christian, God doesn't want me to live in anxiety." Mm-hmm. You know, to this extent. And so the person became a pursuer of, I guess, healing or peace in this area to produce peace, because the person recognized that they lack peace and joy and love and all these other things of the spirit because they're always bombarded by anxiety. So they've recognized it instead of, um, I guess, what's the, what's the word? Like pouting in the fat or sulking in the fact that what's wrong with me Mm. or I am this way because I've been wronged or I've been traumatized. Like they didn't settle or get stuck in self pity which but they moved on forward in order to actually with the goal of bearing the fruit of the spirit through the right mm. through the holy spirit yeah and they got help they got christian counseling they learned that it is possible and they learned not just coping mechanism but they talked through the fears that took over them they joined uh i mean not they, but I'm talking about specific person, but this is like many people's stories. So, and in the end, through the work of the community of small group, like they, whatever they heard was God's word, um, biblically, God's word through the word and shared through others. They said, that's for me. And they didn't, um, I guess, spurn it. And as a result, 
the person is a whole different person living in peace, bearing the fruit of the spirit. Like you would not even recognize that this person once was an anxious person. Right. So I know that, you know, the world will say, well, I think apart from Christ, it's easy to say, well, the person probably just has an anxiety issue, probably need, could get help, you know, maybe medicine or whatever. And completely apart from Christ, they could maybe attain peace, coping peace mm-hmm. of some sort. But that peace, fruit of the spirit, that is not the fruit of the spirit. Your, your, your goal could be of peace of mind. But the peace that the Holy Spirit is talking about is very different. The joy that the Spirit is talking about is very different. So, yeah, it could be someone who struggles with, before it was isolationism or shame or, you know, even loneliness. You know, does does Christ have a, uh, you know, does the, can the Holy Spirit work through someone who wants joy, who wants peace, who wants to forgive? Yes. And the answer is always yes. Yeah. What is not possible with man is possible with God. Mm. And that's really the work of the Holy Spirit. So it doesn't mean that the person will all of a sudden be cured of it per se. Yeah. But it is a it is a partnership of surrendering to the truth and to the applicable you know, humility of taking action so that the work of the spirit could bear fruit in them. Hmm. Yeah. It seems like there was like to that point that there is like the fruits of the spirit do offer like real transformation. Not just like, it's not just like a solution like a temporary solution or like a pain reliever or coping mechanism. Right, right. right. But there is like clear evidence that there was something that radically shifted or changed about the yeah. nature of this person. Yeah. Radically and radically over time mm. that you begin to see the fruit of the spirit mm. in the person, through the person. And as a result actually becomes a better witness. Right. And even relatable of the stories, right? They could tell and how they struggle and how they turn to Christ. But I think that's the thing, though. Like, I think a lot of times when there's also life change, the whole aspect of authentic community can, that kind of sometimes gets, it's weird, you know? Like, you would think that God does all this work in you of the spirit and you can't even boast, like, say, I earned that. You know, because it's the work of God and it's through the community of authentic community of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit ministered through the community, right? Like I just say all these things. It's obvious, but I think a lot of times we just kind of leave things out. Not we, but as you can, you know, what I'm about to say, like, and then in the end, when they share the story, it's like, oh, God did this. And yes, God did that. But how? I think a lot of times it becomes like spiritualism. True spirituality is when it's about just you and God. 
Mm-hmm. And the relatability gets kicked out the door, you know? Yeah. When, when, so I think as Christians, you know, we want to start answering how. I think that how becomes relatable to people and it could actually help others also find, you know, Christ, find, um, you know, peace, find joy, love, produce, you know, the work of the spirit. Mm-hmm. So I think oftentimes I, I think that's why the authentic community is such an important part because, uh, because hypersense, hyper spiritualism is never, uh, or flamboyancy often has this, uh, this implication or, or maybe more blatant that it's me and God, me and God, I was sitting in a room with God and, you know, it was my 40th day and God just popped up and made, told me that I'll never struggle again. That rarely is the case. It's usually a process through time of humility, of equitable humility, of, of applicable action after applicable action of choices, surrendering to the spirit that the fruit of the spirit, um, bears. Right. What I'm learning a lot. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I guess in praxis, it looks like that. It's not always like, wow, you come out and you have new fingers. It's not like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It it seems like uh, something that I'm learning a lot through the sermon series right now is that like, whether like it's, it's apparent that a lot of the ways in which the Holy Spirit works has a very practical or applicable outlet, right? Like there, there is a, reason and that reason being for others has it seems like it's always the motif like it the way i'm envisioning it or i guess like the picture i had in mind was like like if you have like a system of pipes i guess it's not like like for water to flow it would have to have an extension of a number of pipes yeah. that go somewhere it, it can't if it like it if it was just like if you just have like this one vertical pipe that's capped at the bottom it's going to burst it's going to explode but like a lot of the applications or like the works that the Holy Spirit is the works that the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives has practical, pragmatic things involved yeah. so that more and more people can experience these fruits and also experience Christ. Yeah. It literally makes you a witness to the process and also the result. Right. For others. Right. And I guess in that way, I guess what I'm trying to draw it is like, I guess in that way, that is how we can know or like how we can see the measure by which the fruits are embodied in our lives, right? Like we, like the example that you shared about the person that is now taking an active role in combating anxiety for others, yeah. like who has experienced it themselves, like there, there was like a very, practical way in which this person could like represent this fruit and be someone that provides the work of the Holy Spirit as a result of their process and such. So it's like, we can see like there is this weaving of what the Holy Spirit is or this motif of the Holy Spirit's work in their lives. Yeah. It like becomes a testimony that it becomes related to someone else, not just exceptional to that person. It's like, oh, God did this awesome in this person Mm. versus this is what God is doing in my life. 
I was not always this way. Let me tell you about that. Becomes relatable. Wow. In the valleys and the hills and the river flowing through it of the community of Christ. Right. You know, and that just happens where you're just in the on the moon by yourself, like. <laughs> right. But a lot of times, hypersis, you know, that's kind of like the fun boys of it is me and God, God and me. But that's not the case. Yeah. Being relatable is almost like pretty much a sign that there is humility in your life, right? Is that too bold to say? Yeah. Because it seems like if you are relatable, there is that commonality and that equalizer that is shared amongst people in order to even begin to relate. And so like, that seems to be like a marker of that humility in action. Yeah, because, you know, like Sam mentioned how um, he quoted someone saying that if you think that the other person that you're talking to needs Christ more than you, then you clearly are not, I forgot exactly what he said, but that's not humility. Right. You're pious. <laughs> yeah. You-, you know, but that, a lot of times like Christians think that way, like, oh, I can recognize that this person might need more Christ than me. Mm. Wow. I really know what I'm doing. Uh, hello. You totally just missed the point. There. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if Christ, the cross is the equalizer. Uh, I don't think that's what Christ meant. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for all we all fall short. Yeah. yeah. One of the, because like, I think one of the questions that always comes into mind for me is, you know, am I on the right direction? Like, am I doing the things that I'm supposed to do or that, you know, or not supposed to do, or am I doing what God is calling me to do so that I can walk in the direction of like the way the Holy Spirit is leading me and such. And I guess like what we're talking about today is exactly about, well, not exactly, but it, it seems to be oriented around, um, like knowing whether you know you are a christian right like not not like just nominally but like that you are living a life that represents christ well and i guess that's like the forefront of my mind a lot in regards to like what are the things that i am doing but like what i'm getting from this conversation a lot and um, something that I think probably slips in my mind a lot is like how this even like, like none of this really even makes sense unless it is able to be relatable or translatable to my community or like the people around me. Right. Like that's like where God is kind of drawing us towards is kind of the way I'm interpreting it. Um, yeah. yeah, but I think Christ made it very simply by calling us the light of the world. Mm-hmm. Light is not hard to be, hard to distinguish what it is. That's You're not true. wondering what is that thing. Yeah, he made it very clear that light would shine, and also salt. You know, you clearly could tell between something with salt and without. It's true. That season or without. So, you know, I think the question people might be asking is uh so how do i discern if i'm being led i think in praxis that's how we say it right like how am i be how do i know if i'm being led by the holy spirit and um not of the contrarian spirit or humanism or myself yeah you know 
And I think that's why we grow in Christ, in truth. You know, I love um, in Prince Caspian, there's a scene where Aslan, the lion who represents Jesus Christ, um, talks with Lucy. And Lucy is just, you know, she was at a place where she was looking for him. She thought she saw him, but she wasn't sure. But when she actually sees him, she's like, oh, Aslan, you look bigger. And then um, that is, and Aslan says, that is because you are older, little one, answered he, not because you are. And that sh- that's why maturing in Christ and growing in Christ is such an important aspect of growing and being led by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Because as you grow in Christ, um your view of reality that this indeed is a dystopian world apart from Christ um, left to its own demise will people will fall and you know it is based on self-interest alone right Mm. but that Christianity is about recognizing reality that apart from Christ that this is not possible but that in Christ that you know, this beauty can actually come about in this world, that things can be made new through Christ. So growing in Christ is such an important aspect of also growing, not just in time, but growing today and tomorrow. And, you know, in hindsight, realizing that you have grown more because growing in knowledge in Christ, but also in maturing, mm-hmm. you know, not just maturing only happens when the work of the spirit um, continues in your life. It is really, it's like, I guess like a mature fruit is like when you taste fruit that's ripe, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I, I, Jesus is not really like making that distinction, but you know, it's very different when something is mature, it is more valuable in a sense, because of the wisdom and also the knowledge and the experiences that it has gone through, right, mm-hmm. over time. So I think that it's really important that we grow in Christ to be able to grow in being led by Christ. I mean, the truth is, you know, why it's so relatable, authentic community is relatable, is because we're not going to get it well all the time. Right. You know? We may have not you know we may not be you know when people come to christ and there might not be criminals per se because that's blatantly you know i don't know clear to them like no i'm not gonna hurt people anymore yeah explicitly i'm not gonna kill people anymore like very black and white but i mean they that's kind of a some people's stories right but it's the internal things right implicit things where christ is working so and that process takes a while, and that process of growing um, and going from glory to glory through the work of the Spirit is also takes time. And that's why I think we become relatable, that there's no one that gets it completely well mm. every time. You know, daily I'm asking the Lord, like, Lord, um, am I being led by you? Or is this, or when some, a decision comes up, why do we pray? God, is this something that you want me to do? Or is this something that I want to do because I'm a pressure of others or pressure of culture? Is this something you want me to do? Um, 
and how the Holy Spirit leads us and why he should lead us is the very reason because we don't have the answers for everything, you know? And that's why knowing Christ, knowing his word, you know, parts of the community filling in for the parts that we lack. I think that's why we need the authentic community and why we need to be growing. Mm. There are a lot of things that are a lot clearer to me now um, than when, I don't know, even a few years ago or even last year, because we become relatable of how God can do that in others as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of times I hear this complaint a lot about community, uh, like, you know, I guess like a, a microcosm of a community or like a micro aspect of a community, mm. authentic community would be, I guess, accountability or maybe just another part of, right? A different ministry. But right. a lot of people complain about their accountability group, mm. you know? People say, oh, I can't confess in there because I just feel like they don't care. I hear that a lot. Or I just feel like they're just not in the place where they would understand too. Or, oh, we're in different life stages. Three. What's the other one? Um, I don't know. Sometimes there's a simulation like, oh, they're not really walking with Christ. Mm-hmm. And I am. But no one would really ever say it like that. But they say it along around like kind of a... I don't know, beat around the bush way, you know, they don't understand me in different ways, I guess. But I hear it a lot, Mm -hmm. girls and guys. But to that, you know, I think that's a good, you know, a lot of times we take for granted, but actually the people there, you don't have to really look at, I mean, granted, there are things that can get better, but you know, for people who might feel that way, like, oh, people in my life don't really get it. Well, you know what? You can be a witness. You can start. You can go and say, you know what? This is what I'm struggling with. And you can confess. You can talk about your weaknesses mm-hmm. and what God wants, what you want, um, what you're repenting of, what you're trying to change um, out of. And you could... You know what I mean? Like, instead of complaining that, oh, it's not authentic, it's not a good accountability group, I think I'm going to wait till I get to another group. Like, yeah. you know, another practical thing, but that that happens a lot. And I think, I guess we're talking about accountability a lot because I think it's just a really, like, a tight example of, sometimes why we compartmentalize mm-hmm. and isolate and the lack of community and also um, the work of the spirit. It's kind of like the pipes, like, yes, though, so if it is the spirit of God at work, he will do what he says he will do. But I think along the way, there could be some resistance or even delay of, the work of the spirit because um, of those things. But I, I'm a believer in that you can make the path in that way. If the path is already made and clear that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, and Jesus has made it very clear that we need one another, Mm. then, you know, 
you could tweak it all and make it all perfect before you share, or you can share and create an authentic accountability group, mm. you know? So, and as a result, that benefits others. And I think there are different ways to break out of patterns of sin and, you know, and allow the Holy Spirit to work. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are just practical things, right? right? It's just very common. So I'm just kind of putting it out there yeah. instead of compartmentalizing life. Because, mm. you know, and I would also say like, there are some, I think that, that are listening or, you know, that might, that might hear it that have tendency towards hyper spiritualism mm -hmm. also. I would also go back to the isolationism. Like, do you, when that happens, do you feel like you're alone in it? Do you often feel like you're alone? Like, do you all often feel like when you have a revelation that only you can understand this or only, like, do you see that it becomes, yeah, if something could be sacred and possibly for whoever it's intended for. But a lot of times if isolation also builds up as spirituality builds up, I think that's a good place to check as well mm. so that you're not being shut in by, um, a, you know, not the work of the spirit, not a community, um, communal work of what God is doing in the midst of the body of Christ, but it ends up being compartmentalized. I mean, these are also just like, I don't know, maybe there's someone that needs to hear. I don't know. These are just yeah. things, I guess, insights that I've gathered over the years of just ministry and personal ministry of all sort. Yeah. But just ways to check because if someone's already struggling with hyper-spirituality, they might not actually know it because they're, they get isolated. Right. Yeah. And it seems to, but oh. to, yeah, but just to know that it's a lot more practical. Yeah. If you're doing better in relationship with others and able to share with others weakness and not feel shame, I mean, that's a direction of the spirit of what God is working in you. Mm. So. Yeah. And I think all these practical measures and, um, I guess examples also just really st like still for me highlight the nature and the heart of what we're talking about, which is, you know, like the examining the life change that is occurring and like testing it to see whether it's of a contrarian spirit or if it is of the yeah. spirit of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's the contrarian spirit. It's very clear that it makes someone pious and of self-interest. Mm. Just reiterating the points, but the true work of the spirit brings humility yeah um equitable change and also uh belonging into an authentic community can't say that enough <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it seems like the driving point here for sure because i think like n no matter which way that i'm thinking about it whether it's like i'm thinking about uh the biblical figures or even like christian writers through their narratives and such like that it always kind of seems like the direction of god has been towards that 
um, I, I know for a long time ago, we used to call this downward mobility, but like, it's kind of like bringing on that humility and it also brings you to people, like it brings you closer to others. And I think, you know, that's exemplified in the life of Christ. Um, and that's kind of always been the story of like the work of the Holy Spirit, like to me anyways. Yeah, it's like when the disciples said, who will sit next to you, Jesus, right? Mm. Who will be the greatest of all? And Jesus says, uh, if you want to be the greatest, serve. Yeah, right? yeah. It's like, oh, what? You want me to check self-interest? I thought this is all about who I'm going to become. Right. And then Jesus is like, yeah, becoming more like me, Jesus Christ, not becoming more for you. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, mm. exactly. And which hence is downward mobility. Yeah. It's a, definitely a careful line that, you know, that I, I want to tread well on because it's like, it's so, it's it seems like almost so innocent, but it's like so easy to get caught up in the, who I'm becoming and not necessarily like, am I becoming like Christ? Or like, am I, like, am I becoming greater? Or am I like, bring, or am I like, lifting people up around me. you know what i mean it's like it's like i think the way that dr sammy phrased it last week is that it's it's true that gospel confrontation and the confrontation of sin is certainly offensive because it does like bring into question whether our lives are about us or whether our lives are in the service of others the way that god wants us to live yeah, and as believers transformed by the Spirit of God in life and really become people of applicable, equitable change, I think it can change the world. And I think that's really how the world changes. Mm. That's really the only way that um, the world has been changing is really do the work of the Spirit. I mean, you could mimic a world of perfunctory kindness and, you know, equality. But true change really comes when you realize that you are your brother's keeper, that you are no better than the person um, next door or, you know, Mm -hmm. that's in a different place. Like Sam talked about how in 180 Church, you know, it doesn't matter if you are looking for a job um, if you're unemployed to, if you're a waiter to a doctor, a student of an Ivy League or to whatever school, it doesn't matter that the, that we are all equal and that Christ and the cross is the greatest equalizer, right? So, but we see that out, you know, I don't want to go too long into it, but, mm. um, because it's such a sensitive, you know, thing, and I want to be as respectful as possible. But we see that in the world, you know, systems that are supposedly equal, but clearly it is not. And we saw that in the murder of, in the death of George Floyd, how he was brought down by the knees of that cop. Like, to me, like, what I was thinking when I saw that video, other than that it was horrifying, was he basically dehumanized him, you know, mm. as not even a person, not even like 
possible suspect or what. Like he just he didn't even treat him as a human being by the by his color and by what whatever it could be. And I think that uh, that's like heartbreaking, mm. but that's happening everywhere. And like I think about if we as Christians, white, black, Asians, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. If we could really truly love each other and see each other as equal, um, as brothers and sisters. I mean, George Floyd was actually a brother in Christ. Yeah. Like He was a representation of the gospel. And as tragic it is, um, I know that there's a lot of blasting of all sorts of action going on. Um, and only God knows what is really going to bear fruit and whatnot. But, you know, the tragedy is being turned around for so much good right now. It's bringing a lot of awareness to the inequality and the, you know, the, how not just dysfunctional, but how simple the system and, you know, and the blindness and the lack of awareness there is about racism in America. But yeah, I think that world can change yeah. when people, you know, when people change, when the spirit can change the sinful parts of all of us that are blind, that want to be blind, that, you know, wants to ignore inconvenient things, that lies, that self-reserving. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah, it's inconvenient truth for all, but there are people hurting as a result. Right. You know, things have to change. But I think that I believe God when he said that he will make all things new. And I know that there is an aspect of King you know, God's kingdom on earth as it is it's not there's an aspect of not yet. We will never have the fullness of the glory of the renewal of all things. As is, as it is in heaven. Mm. But I do believe that we are meant to see, um, the kingdom of God on earth. Yes, not yet, but, uh, representational and palpable, uh, changes that God's people, as people surrender and actually live out what they believe and what Christ says, I, I believe that it can be made better. Mm. You know, I'm reminded of um, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about love. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. And he talks about love, what love is. And then he says that if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, hyper-spirituality, hyper right? But do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, hyper spiritual there, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, also hyper spiritual, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man or a woman, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror that we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And love is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And he goes, he expounds on love. That apart from love, that we can't accomplish anything. And really, John 15 is talking about loving others. It's talking about the love of God. If it is not represented in loving others, it is like being not being attached to the vine, to the branches. That apart from that, there's no good fruit. So apart from love, and I think that's important, like in the aspect of changing, you know, I think there's an aspect of like, um, with this whole injustice being revealed and exposed mm. is and sustained is, you know, speak up, speak up. And, you know, biblically, Bible does say mourn with those who mourn, you know, mm. and there is that aspect that we're mourning with those who have suffered and those who are suffering as a result that in our, in our comfort, that there's discomfort that we don't know of. And because it's ex- being exposed, we're mourning with others. And that's why I think we're speaking up about these things, yeah. you know, in terms of articles and all of that and, you know, posts. And I know that people are doing that, but the work of God that gets accomplished and changes things from make that makes all things new and better is really the work of God that is represented through love. And apart from love, you know, there's a lot of good that in the name of justice that can be done, but ultimately we need the power of God. We need the work of the spirit through the people of God to be administered for a real change. I believe the Bible says, Mm -hmm. because it is like a resounding gong. You could clank and bang on the cymbals with all the loudness in the world and speak up. But if there is no love, of God being worked in and throughout through the fruit of the spirit, um, there will really not be life change and actual uh, lasting change. So I think that as Christians, there is a call to mourn with those who mourn, but also to rise up and to be led by the spirit and not just experience flamboyant experiences of the spirit and keep it to self and kind of discredit it and um but instead to actually represent who christ is you know Mm. and to actually be transformed and become relatable witnesses of the gospel to others in timely fashion because there are things happening right now you know in our backyard in this pandemic you know? Yeah. And so 
Um, that's something that, um, as I've been thinking throughout this week with George Floyd's death and Martin Luther King, Dr. King's, you know, he hoped for change in his own life and also in his generation of his own children. But the, when he spoke up, he, he, his life was actually taken as a result, but his message because it was the work of God, still speaks and resounds today. Hmm. Not as a resounding gong, but because of the love of God. It still pours out today. Hmm. You know, it echoes today and it brings hope today. And that's the work of God. He had to obey, you know, there are books about this, but he had to obey God the night before, before he switched his um, speech yeah. to have a drink. Um, he had to, he had a moment with God that he writes about in a journal where he actually had to say, God, is this something you want me to do? And God makes it very clear that it is something he wants him to speak up about. And he tells God, I will obey. And as a result, what has happened, it is monumental. So if we could all, all obey God and live out this life for Christ and actually become witnesses of the work of the Spirit and not just spectators of it, of the work of the Spirit. I'm talking about not so much what's going on per se, but, you know, become actual livers, <laughs> livers, livers. Funny, of, <laughs> of living letters of, uh, of Christ. Mm and live that out, I think that I believe that real change can happen. Yeah. All I can really say to that is my hope is the same and my prayer is also the same. And these are, I guess, some heavy times that we are in. But if if there's one thing we can cling to is that hope and that love um, during these times. And I think these messages, conversations with you um, and Dr. Sammy also have been very helpful in, you know, walking in that direction of transformation and life change so that we can, you know, work with the Holy Spirit horizontally. And I think that's my great hope and takeaway for, you know, whatever is to come to pass in the future. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Lydia, for another great conversation. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to our following one next week as well. Yes, sounds good. Thanks, Joe. Thank you so much. And we'll see you all next week. Yes, have a good week, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Wherever you might be today, will you stand to your feet? Will you lift your hands and pray with me for God to move? for the presence of the Spirit to show up in this unprecedented time in history. Father, we want to come to you today in the midst of a national crisis where our social and racial tensions have reached a precipice. We want to pray for our African-American brothers and sisters who are mourning along with the rest of the nation. Father, the unjust death of George Floyd and the blackness of Christian Cooper being weaponized against him in our own very backyard at Central Park 
is a referendum to an America in denial. Racism isn't getting worse. It's just getting filmed. In the words of Dr. King, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it always bends towards justice. Father, raise up a generation with clean hands and the pure hearts that we can bend this country, bend our country toward racial equity. Lift your hands right now and make this song your prayer. Be still and know I am God. 
be still and know I am. Be still. Be. God bless you. Be the hope of the world. Let the Spirit fill you and use you. We need you right now. Until next week. Bye now. Good afternoon, everybody. We want to thank you for joining us for our Sunday live stream service today. My name is Stu Still, and I have some community news for you guys. But before we get to that, we have some breaking news out of Brooklyn. So let's go to our special correspondent, Anmin Lee. Hey, 180. Anmin here. I'm pouring live from our home in Brooklyn, New York. I just wanted to introduce you to the newest member of 180. There he is. His name is Theodore James Lee. He was born on May 27th. No, 28th. <laughs> Oops, May 28th. I better get that right. <laughs> Here's his older brother. Say hi, Luca. Say hi. hi. Say hi, 180. Say cheese. Cheese. That's his baby brother. We're calling him Theo for short. Here's mom. Jenny's doing well. How are you feeling, Jenny? We just got back from the hospital, so Theo's finally home, and we just wanted to uh, welcome our little one and announce it to everyone at church. And we just wanted to say thank you so much for all the prayer, especially to the prayer team. The delivery went so smoothly and very safely, no complications. I know times are crazy right now, pandemic and everything going on, but we just wanted to bring some really happy news in light of everything to the church. And we just wanted to uh, give a praise to God because he's been taking care of our family. He's taking care of this little guy. Right? Yeah. He's winking. He's winking because he's like, yeah. And um, yeah, and just to encourage everyone to continue praying. Keep hope alive, even though times are crazy. And uh, we can't wait until all of you get to meet him. Say cheese. Hope everyone's safe out there. All right, back to you, Stu. Wow, that is some great news, Amin. All of us here at 180 want to congratulate you and Jenny and Luca on the new addition to your family. And we can't wait to meet Teddy James in person sometime soon. Going back to our regular community news, we're going to first start off with tithes and offering. And first and foremost, I just want to thank all of you guys for continuing to tithe faithfully in the midst of the pandemic and everything that's going on. You guys are really living what it means to be faithful with what God has blessed you with. As a reminder, you can always tithe through Venmo at Church180, through our website 180church.tv using PayPal, or you can tithe through Zelle and Chase QuickPay at offering at 180church.tv. Our next announcement is about the Bible Reading Group, which you can find on Instagram at 180BRG, as well as on Tumblr at 180BRG. And here we post just a chapter of the Bible every day and a verse of the Bible on the Instagram account so that we can continue to have God's Word present at all times in our lives because we don't live on bread alone, but we live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, you can find it on Instagram at 180BRG or through Tumblr, also at 180BRG. Our next announcement is about the Prayer Text Hotline, which you can find at 539-7-PRAYER or online at prayer at 180church.tv. 
Again, with everything that's going on in the world, sometimes we need a little bit of help. And the prayer text hotline is there so that we can lift up our request, not only for ourselves, but for our loved ones, our friends, and our family to God. And so that we're not praying about these things alone, but we're praying for them in the context of community. Again, it's at 5397prayer or at prayer at 180church.tv. Our next announcement is about small groups. And even though we're socially distancing from one another, it's still so important for us to continue to meet so that we can spur one another on, not just in faith in Christ, but spur one another on and encourage each other through the difficulties and the trials that are going on in life, whether they're big or small, pandemic or otherwise. It's always important to have community around us to help us through. And that's one of the great things about small groups, so that we can grow in faith and grow together to who Christ is calling us to be and to overcome the challenges that are before us. No matter what stage of life you're in, we have a group that would be great for you. And right now, all of our groups are meeting online. So no matter where you are in the city or even in the country, we have a group that would be perfect for you. Our adult groups meet on Wednesdays at 7.30, our young adult groups meet on Thursdays at 7.30, and our college group, the 180 Fellowship, meets on Fridays at 7.30. If you're interested in joining a group, you can email Pastor Billy at billykim.180 at gmail.com. Our last announcement is about all the different ways that we can stay connected on social media even though we're still socially distancing from one another. As I mentioned before, you can find our Bible reading group at 180BRG, both on Tumblr and on Instagram. You can find our church Instagram at 180Church, and you can find us on Facebook also at 180Church. If you're looking for us on YouTube, you're going to go to 180ChurchNYC, and both Facebook and YouTube are the place where you can see our Sunday live stream services every Sunday at 12.30 p.m. Next, you can find Dr. Sammy's Twitter page at Dr. Sammy Kim, where he posts all kinds of articles and great insight to help us pursue our relationship with Christ. Next, we have the virtual 180 Cafe on Discord, which you can find through a link on our website at 180church.tv. And the 180 Cafe is a great place for us to come together, whether we're going to discuss gaming, what we're cooking in the kitchen, what we're watching, or we even host watching parties for TV shows and movies. Lastly, we have the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and Friends, hosted by Joe Lou and Pastor Lydia, and centered on a critical discussion of Dr. Sammy's sermons. You can find this podcast wherever you download your podcasts. Those are all of our announcements for this Sunday. We want to thank you guys once again for joining us, and we hope to see you soon.